We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. To really see Europe, go when others don't. And fly there with Aer Lingus. Our European sale is full of amazing off-season deals to over 20 European cities like Paris, London, Amsterdam and Dublin. Book today at aerlingus.com. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. So, uh, I, um, I took in a, an over-the-counter supplement um, that, that had something in it. Um, I really hope that um, that people can learn from learn from this, learn from my mistake, and really, really sorry to to everyone. Just really sorry. Welcome, podcast fans, to the Gator Nation Football Podcast. It is a quite a strange week here on the pod. We thought we'd be talking about a gritty. Gutty road win against Missouri, but we've got other things to discuss. I'm here with my co-host, James DiVirgilio. I'm Alan Williams. James, how you doing? <laughs> I'm shocked, I think, like everybody. I know that when we first heard the news, I looked at my cell phone and I thought, this can't be true. And then I got a text from you know one of our friends of the show, uh, Amy Campbell, who confirmed that, in fact, it was true. And it was sort of like, I thought we had something good to believe in. And here we are sort of right back in the beginning where it's like, oh, no, oh, no. So for those of you who maybe just fired up the pod and have been at work all day or something, Will Greer has been suspended, suspended for one year for performance-enhancing drugs. We'll talk a little bit in a second about maybe some of the conjecture flying around. But this was like a bomb dropped on me. I know I went to lunch and didn't look at my phone for an hour. I came back and I had like 30 texts 
from people like freaking out. And of course I immediately began freaking out. And this is a really tough situation for this Gator football team, a team that seemed to be peaking uh, in a lot of ways and really moving forward with a ton of momentum. And then just now seems like they have their legs knocked out from under them. Yeah, it's definitely a blow. You watch, we watched the press conference, obviously, and I thought it was really insightful in a lot of ways to the character of, of Jim McElwain with how he wanted to handle that, with how he brought Greer up to the podium. You know, Greer was was tearful. He had a hard time getting words out. He was emotionally shaken. Um, and I thought that's a, that's a big moment for Will Greer in, in a young man's life. He has to own up in front of the microphone to all those people. I think a lot of coaches would have simply just sort of hid him and said, hey, failed the test, it's not there. Um, and we don't know all the details yet. Like we said, we will spend some time speculating on it. But obviously, it's a big blow for the program. We had nothing but positive momentum. Uh, you know, We had planned for this show, a much different show than we're going to have today. It changes things. It's definitely a gut punch. I think McElwain even alluded to the fact that it was a bit of a, a gut punch with some of his comments uh, before talking about some positive things. So I think that's where we are. I know from my friends and my network, and I know from you, Alan, that uh, we're still kind of trying to make sense of it. We still don't know what he took. You know, there were rumors it was ligandrol, and we actually were ready to have uh, one of our doctors on the show to talk about that substance and what we thought that meant. And now we know it's not ligandrol, and this is this is Monday afternoon. So depending on when you're listening to this podcast, we may or may not know. But as of right now, we don't know. And all we're left with are a bunch of questions as sort of how did this happen and Again, like, why does it seem that Gator Nation can't go in a good direction with football? I don't know. So it's it's a weird situation. So what's happened so far, I mean, I think immediately as soon as the news came out, everyone was linking to this word, lig and draw. And, you know, uh, we don't know what that is. We immediately start Googling it. And, uh, you know, then it, at the press conference, uh, Coach McElwain is saying, you know, you're going to get the sheets that are going to be handed out with whatever the substance is. Those sheets never get passed out, I guess maybe because compliance thought that was a not a good idea. Probably correct in doing so. Uh, ESPN was reporting that's Ligon Draw. And then UF doesn't just say, hey, we can't confirm what it is anymore, just privacy reasons. They're actually refuting the claim that it's Ligon Draw. What do you make of that? It seems to be positive news. I was ready to come on the podcast and talk about how if it was Ligandral that he absolutely knew that he took it. He had probably been taking it for a while and simply got caught because from what we had learned, that's not really a drug that you just sort of accidentally take if you're if you're taking something else. Um, as we stand now, it's sort of a little bit of hope that maybe it's going to be something that's more benign, that's more innocent, that's the story we want to believe. And I know on the message boards and sort of in the community of people that want to be insiders, crave to be insiders, or probably only are really getting rumor mill stuff, it tends to believe now that he took something when he was sick. And again, I think we'll know some more information. We don't know that now, but that's kind of the thought. It's a possibility. He, yeah, he took something when he was sick, and it was an accident, and he's truly remorseful. And I certainly hope that's the case, but we have no clue right now. We have no information, and, and anything is big picture speculation. All we can do is hope that everyone's telling the truth in the Gator program, that Will is telling the truth, and that if it is an honest mistake, it's something where the suspension can, in fact, be lessened, and we're not dealing with a full calendar year, which, in my opinion, would set the program back, not only in recruiting, but also in performance on the field, and it would also be a sort of overhanging distraction. Yeah, and we've got a lot of thoughts on the future, where we're headed, but there's been a lot made about like how much weight he's gained since he's been in the program. Um, looking, This is from... 
uh, you know, the Gators own, like, a, basically official account, you know, that Wilger made, what measured in 183 pounds in January 2014, and then in August 2015, weighed in at 203 pounds. So that's a 20-pound difference, which is not the 40-pound difference that people are claiming, probably when he weighed in when he was, like, 15 or something like that. Um, 20 pounds is a weight gain. But for someone that age who's actually working with a real fitness and, you know, nutrition kind of person, uh, that's not unbelievable. So I don't know that you can just say, look at his weight gain. He obviously took steroids. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, you can gain two pounds of muscle a month as clean and lean as possible. You, know, you can gain four pounds a month if you want to put some fat on there. So you look at those numbers, <clears throat> he's somewhere in between those two. And that's a completely normal weight gain that any anyone listening could achieve if they were, you know, watching their calories and, and doing things correctly. So that that's not a concern. I mean, there's, there's other reasons that go into that. But really, at this point in time, good news, bad news is good news is it doesn't seem to be ligandrol, which I think would be a smoking gun to longer usage. Bad news is we still don't know what it is. And he's suspended for a year. And we are all stuck dealing with what do we do now? Is this dream of a season over? And we're now waking up from our six game, you know, sort of Pleasantville scenario. Yeah, this is really hurts because we hadn't gotten to this point on the podcast, but it, there was no there was no ceiling on this team, as we said. But th- And that means SEC championship. That means if you continue to have a 2006-type improvement, national championship, certainly defense is up to that caliber. We just didn't know. Not that that was like the probability, but that was certainly a possibility. And that, at the moment, seems to be taken away. And that feels, like you said, a gut punch for, I'm sure, the fans – the team, everybody, and that's a tough pill to swallow. It is, and I, I, looking at a positive, you know, watching the McIlwain presser, I felt that he really calmly handled the situation, but he showed maybe some true emotion. There's a couple ways this can go. You kind of have Coach A that walks up to the podium and says, hey, next man up, everything's fine, Will made a mistake, life goes on, I'm unaffected. Then you kind of have Coach C who walks up and gives you the impression he doesn't really know what's going on. And you're probably worried for the program because it's like, oh my gosh, this is my guy. I don't know if I can win. And then in the middle, you had McElwain, who I thought struck a tone of, this hurts. We're not going to kid ourselves and say that this doesn't affect us. Everyone's hurting. The guys in the locker room are hurting. Will's hurting. I'm hurting. And then let's transition and look at the fact that we have a good football team and that, hey, all along, which we've talked about on this very podcast, I've been preparing Treon to be ready to the point where in the Missouri game, he's still getting wildcat carries. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I hate the wildcat, but it shows you that this coach is readying his players to play. And that's the best thing you can do if you're in McElwain's position. Of course, he didn't expect this. He didn't know this was coming, but he seems to be prepared for this moment and he can handle it with a strategic point of view. And now we're really going to see what he's capable of. And, and he is such a good offensive mind that I have to believe that he will be able to maximize our chances to win with Treon. Our ceiling is lower. There's no doubt about that. Treon is not Will Greer. But McIlwain knows that. And therefore, he will create a game plan that suits Treon. And uh, I think that's important. I know in the podcast, I mean, not in the podcast, but in the presser, he said, hey, we're going to run the same offense. He's going to run the same stuff. I don't think that's actually the case. You know, I think Treon stuff will be simpler. It'll be more basic. They'll move the pocket more. Uh, they'll limit some of the stuff he'll do. And I think that's smart because what we've done really well thus far is not turn the ball over. And and that's something that if we continue to do, I think we can still have success. 
So talk maybe some people off a cliff here, maybe even me. You know, it looks like we're we're setting up next year's team to just be an absolute juggernaut with most everybody returning. Everybody another you know, so many we talked about so many young players on offense and maybe all that's derailed and for not I don't know what <laughs> you just jumping on the pile or you have a you feel differently. Yeah, I'm shaking my head as you're saying that because it's kind of funny. I actually feel like as bad as this hurts us this year, it probably hurts us worse next year if this is a calendar year ban. Cuz we're in we're in a weird scenario now and we'll talk about this later in the cast, but obviously our schedule is rather although difficult on paper, favorable given the metrics we've talked about all year. We have winnable games even with Trion. When you talk about going into next year, that's a permanent cloud hanging over the program. It's a distraction. It's a recruiting scenario. It then becomes a, what are you doing if you're Treon going into next year scenario? Are you just holding the spot for Will? Can Will win it back? I mean, it adds a lot of elements of unknowns that you just don't want with the college football team. And so it's hard not to be a little bit depressed about the future. Of course, all those things can change if Treon comes in and plays really well. And we say to ourselves, hey, we can still win. But I don't know that I can talk anybody off a ledge right now because the future, as we said on this show, we were biased. We were believers in Will. I've been a huge believer in, you know, Will the thrill, and here he is thrilling us in the wrong way. And that now is not there. Like, all your projections aren't there. So for me, the best hope is that this suspension doesn't last any longer than this year, in which case we enter next year in great shape. We hold on this year and achieve some things. But, I mean, what you know, what's your... What's your thought about not only this year, but next year? I mean, what's just kind of hitting you right now in the moment? What's the visceral reaction? Well, it feels like a lot. the carpet got pulled out from under us, the rug, whatever you want to say, uh, that, like I said, everything was still on the table for this team. Not that they were necessarily going to be able to like grab it with their inexperience, especially when it came down to like the playoffs and the SEC championship and whatnot. The... I, this team can still win football games with Trion. We'll talk about that later, I think. But it it this is a whole year potentially where Greer's not taking starters reps, like you said earlier. He's not uh, getting the kind of game situations that we're gonna kind of propel him into next year, and really could set this program back. Um, you know, maybe two or three years in terms of like its development. Now, on the other side of that, this could have been an announcement today. Uh, Will Greer um, broke his collarbone or something. If it had happened in the game, you know, he has a major injury and he's out for a year. Well, collarbone's not the right thing, but say he shreds his knee. It's like, okay, well, that just happens in football. you got to move on. No one should be irre- irreplaceable. Uh, so they've got to deal with this, no matter if it's a stupid suspension or whatever. And Treon... And, is now the guy, and this is a guy just a couple weeks ago, busted for something. You know, everyone assumes marijuana, and now he's the guy. Everyone's like, okay, you got to be the guy. Is he trustworthy and capable? He's going to be in the spotlight now. Yeah, he has his own checkered past as well. So it's kind of really frustrating that now both of our quarterbacks have this situation. And again, we can't point the finger at Greer yet. We don't know. All we do know is that these sort of quote unquote innocent mistakes don't happen very often in college football. And that's a concern. This does not happen often. Most of the analysts on TV today were talking about it. They cannot remember the last time this even happened, period. Really? uh, For somebody taking a PED. And so this is not just normal. And that's why I think everyone's wondering what the heck's going on. But, you know, going to the point, going to Treon, which we're going to talk about at length in this podcast, 
Uh, he's going to have to be the guy. And like like we've said, when we've broken him down. His footwork is not nearly as good. He doesn't make reads when he's when he's going into his footwork. So if he's under center, if he's out of the shotgun, he's not as quick to make a read. He's not observing the field as as uh, fast as Will Greer is. He lacks the arm strength that Will Greer has. There's a lot of things he just does not have. Not to mention, he doesn't have the experience in the offense Will now has in the game. Which look, Will's not playing perfect every every quarter. You know, we're gonna talk about the Missouri game and we'll make we'll make light of that. But there's just so many unknowns with Shreon that, hey, great, maybe he could come out there and do really well. But what I've seen, what he's put on film, what he's put in front of me in person is a guy who throws late, throws slow, doesn't throw the bubble screens nearly as hard. And that's going to result in a, in a lower you know, passing average. That's just what's going to happen. And that's going to affect us. And we've had a lot of success on those kind of plays. If the ball's getting there slower, it's less yards after catch. It's more batted down passes. He's shorter. And there's just a whole variety of things that are going to go on here. And I think McElwain's aware of that. That's why this is kind of exciting to see how good this guy is. Basically, he's a quarterback whisperer. Every guy that's played for him has done really well in college. And we're going to we're gonna see what he can do now. I mean, he's had all the reps, so he definitely knows the offense. So speaking of an offense struggling, uh, that was the case in what many are calling an ugly win at Missouri. So a lot of things we probably would have talked about breaking down the offense are kind of irrelevant moving forward in some fashion. But what were your takeaways from this Missouri win? We still want to talk about because it, it still has a big bearing on the future yeah and that's that's the right way to look at it is it's such a game changer you know we're, we're sitting here talking about hey what, what are we going to discuss in the podcast and we basically scrapped most of the missouri time rightfully so we'll talk on the things that will matter for the future but you know what we saw against missouri was i thought actually a pretty good win i think in the first half we we absolutely shredded them on offense they played a lot of zone they didn't blitz a lot I think they thought they could actually just play coverage against Will. And the reason they did that was like we talked about last week, Old Miss blitzed us a ton and we killed it. And uh, obviously we did so well against him in the first quarter, um, moved the ball as well a little bit in the second quarter. And Will had a great numbers at halftime. You know, we were really in control of the game. In the second half, they came out and they just decided to blitz generally to our right side consistently, aggressively, and all day while employing a spy. And we didn't have an answer for it. Ultimately, I thought we had a lot of routes that were open. We couldn't get the ball there. I know McElwain said after the game that Greer seemed spooked. I think that's true. I think he had reason to be a little spooked. I think that he was on the right side of his vision, constantly seeing someone in his face. And it was hurrying him up, so he couldn't make the passes like he made the week before to Brandon Powell. So it didn't show me any long-term concern. It more have said that, hey, you know what? Missouri's a really good defense. They applied a ton of pass pressure to us. We wound up winning on the road. We controlled the game. I think we quickly realized their offense had nothing. And Will did what you should do, which is he made a lot of really good decisions to not turn the ball over, while at the same time struggling to throw the ball away, right? trying to take on too many yards. right? And there are a lot of those things going on. And so I know you observe some of those things uh, in the game, especially with you know Will's kind of <laughs> reluctant to throw it away. But what were some of your overall thoughts? Yeah, so I, again, I think any kind of you win on the road, even against a Missouri team that's up and down, that was a huge win for this program, a team that's slaughtered us. And like we said last week, a classic trap game. Huge emotional win over Ole Miss, like fall, you know that was came after a big time victory against Tennessee, and then you've got this huge matchup with LSU looming, and you know they went on the road and took care of business. Now was it pretty? No, but you know, Mizzou has a great defense, potentially like you know I don't know how they find these defensive linemen. They said on the broadcast too, but it's true they just always end up with these guys who are these speed demon pass rushers, which gave our tackles tons of problems. 
you know, once they realized that and they, I thought it was a brilliant idea by them to spy Will. You saw it on that one play where he scrambled out and that guy took him down quickly. So, I, you know what? If we had to adjust, maybe we would have, we would have, but um, I don't know. It, it's hard to say. It's a tough environment to play in. The thing that I was most encouraged about was the defense. Other than that kooky first drive, which we still held them to a field goal, the defense absolutely shut them down in a way. I mean, even way more so than they did Ole Miss or anybody else. At one point, Missouri was 0 for 13 on third down. That is almost unbelievable. I think they eventually picked up one late in the game. 0 for 13 on third down. Well, that's our money down, you know, as we as the coach put it in place. So incredible job by the defense, which is what we want to see. That should be our down, a rush and cover kind of down, and they did a fantastic job with it. Yeah, they were professional out there. And and again, it was another game with very few penalties. Mm-hmm. It was a game where the team plays with a professional demeanor. They play with attention to detail. They put good stuff on film. And those are all signs of a good coach. You know, Sometimes you have to win ugly. And while that game was kind of ugly, in a way it was really clean. It wasn't ugly in the way that we're not executing well. It was ugly in the way that, you know what, Missouri's got a good defense. They had a really good game plan. They made an excellent second half adjustment. We still move the ball at times. You know, we probably should have had two field goals in the mm-hmm. second half. Yes. We're controlling the game. I mean, look, there's NFL teams that win like that on Sundays. You know, you get a big lead and you get a few field goals and then you end the game. So there's no shame in that. With a freshman quarterback not turning the ball over on the road, there's definitely no shame in that. And that's the recipe I think now we're going to have to look at with Treon. You know, we're not going to score 35 points a game anymore. Will Greer was the number one ranked quarterback in the SEC with his completion rate. He was atop the leaderboard in a lot of things. We talked about last week, I thought he was the best quarterback in the SEC. This team is good enough to win with an average quarterback. So if Treon can play to the middle of the pack and not turn the ball over, we can be dangerous. Um, you know, that's going to have to happen. We're going to have to wind up having better special teams. We cannot get inside the 25-30 yard line and not make field goals. In defense of, of Jorge, uh, George Powell there, it, laces were, you know, were not out. Laces out, Dan, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. he kicked the laces. That's tough to do. So, But either way, what's going on in special teams, I don't know. They obviously don't trust him. They went for that terribly constructed fake. Right, which was hor- which was horrible. Why why show it if you're faking it? I don't know either. So there were definitely things in the game that kind of made your, your head spin a little. But all in all, it was a four-and-a-half-point spread. We really crushed them. They yes. weren't in the game at all. The game wasn't even that close. Not I mean, even that close. As soon as that interception happened, it was like we, if we wanted to be a – Will Muschamp team, we could have just ran the ball and punted. I mean, it was punt-a-palooza in the second half, but mm-hmm. it wasn't because we were being so conservative. And again, this is a team on offense, whether it's the offensive line or the receivers, if somebody is a little off execution-wise, it shows up. Played perfectly against Ole Miss. This week, not so perfectly. And we're going to struggle against a good defense if we're not executing well. And so that's something that when you're so young, you have to build that consistency. And they don't have that yet. So if they're... Like I said, the offensive line was struggling this week. That's going to cause the whole... We don't such a power team where we're so overloaded at one position that the other parts can screw up and we'll still overwhelm you. Everybody's got to be in sync. And that we didn't see that happen in the second half. But not something I think that would have been maybe necessary carrying over in the future. So it's kind of tough that you know we're going to miss seeing what happened with Greer mm-hmm. in these next few games. Yeah, it is. And we, you know, we made some predictions last week. And I think it, it's indicative of the fact that our predictions were more or less in line with what kind of happened. It was that we jumped on them so early that you're like, oh, hey, we're going to run them out of the out of the building. Uh, but, you know, I know that we did the passing yards. And, um, you know, I had I was under on Greer for sure. We had 208. 
I think you were closer with, you know, 230 or so. I was like a 270 or 250. And then we nailed, we rather nailed Drew Locks. I mean, I was at, I was at 150, finished at 150, you know, and you were about at 120. Yeah, you were at 120. So the game more or less went where we thought it would go. They sacked us a bunch. Which I predicted we'd have four. You predicted we'd have four, and they sacked us five times and had nine tackles for loss and lived in our backfield. You know, it was ridiculous. But, you you know, we, we knew that. So I think the game went almost exactly how we thought it was going to go, and we got a win. I would have liked to have seen us move the ball more. Um, you know, Jake McGee drops the ball in the red zone. So th- there were things where the game could have been a little different. We could have blown him out. But all in all, very few passes from Will outside of the very beginning of the game were really, truly risky. Mm-hmm. Uh, we lost one fumble with, you know, Cronkite. Kelvin Taylor has emerged as a guy who just has glue on his hands. I mean, yeah. he's trustworthy with the ball. He's a workhorse. He's Great durable. Vision. And so there's things that come out of this game where we say, hey, you know what? Now that Treon's our guy, I look at that game and I think, what would you want if Treon's your guy? Would you want a running back that you can you can just ride? Well, Kelvin can do that. He can do those things. He can handle the ball. He's safe with the ball. Um, you look at an offensive line that has proven to do well against anyone that's not really Missouri recently, you know, with regards to blocking straight up. So there's things to build on with what's going on. Um, and that's really what we have to look at now as we sit here and say, okay, let's put all this behind us. For now, we know that Wilger is not our quarterback. We have to look into the future. We have to start talking about what's going to happen. And let's start with the question I think is on everyone's mind right now is, hey, look, we've got this huge cushion in the SEC East. Are we still going to win the SEC East? Oof. Uh, I want to say yes. Seems like those South Carolina and Vanderbilt games should still be wins. That would put us at six wins. So even if we lost both LSU and Georgia, I think that we'd still have a great shot. If we split those, I think we're pretty much guaranteed the way things would shake out. Uh, so that's great news that this is the SEC East is still very much winnable. What would you say? Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, I think we if we don't win the SEC East, then it will be a monumental collapse, and it means that Treon will have been below average as a quarterback because the way we look at the landscape, we're going to play an LSU team this week. And we're going to talk a lot about this that doesn't have a quarterback at all right now. I mean, you know, Brandon Harris. Yeah, he played okay against South Carolina. I think they're really excited about it. But the reality is he, he can't throw the ball, in my opinion. And, and South Carolina doesn't have even remotely anyone that can throw the ball consistently. So you look at those things, and then you look at Georgia, and, and Georgia is not a good football team. And they're in a so, bad place right now with Nick Yeah, Chubbs. absolutely. You know, terrible injury, to, you know. Feel bad for them on that. Oh, it's horrible. You never want to see a guy go down like that. But you look at the landscape and say, still... With average quarterback play, we should win, like you just said. We should at least split and win these games that puts us in the SEC's championship. So that happens. I think what, what is off the table for me is the discussion we could have had, which is, hey, let's start looking around the country and say, are we one of the best two or three teams? Can we make the college football playoff? For me, that's off the table unless Treon just becomes something I don't think he is. And, and he could be, and I'm certainly hoping for that. But from what I've seen on him, I don't think our ceiling is at that level anymore. I think we've dropped down, and, and we don't have the cushion maybe you need to win some of these bigger games. Not that we couldn't do it, because we could, but that's what I feel like going forward. I just feel like, ah, we've dropped down a couple of pigs. Agreed. I, I would echo those sentiments. And, yeah, still a lot. This is still a big, successful season, I think, overall for this program, um, even in light of, like, today. Um but we've got some big games coming up, one of those LSU. And we're actually going to go straight to our opposition guest. We're going to get to talk to someone deep inside the LSU program for a long time. It's going to be cool to get to talk to him. And let's bring him on now. 
Welcome to the program, Jim Hawthorne. He is the legendary voice of the Tigers. He's been on the microphone for both of LSU's football national championships, as well as all six of their baseball titles and all three of their final four appearances in men's basketball in the modern era. Jim, great having you on the show. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you. I, I've been exceptionally fortunate to, to have experienced that, and, and I appreciate you uh, uh, having me on. This will be uh, this Saturday in Tiger Stadium will be football game number three hundred and eighty-six straight wow. uh, that I've done. That's... I haven't been fortunate enough. I haven't missed a game since I started doing it. Well, I'm a big Baltimore Orioles fan, and, and Cal Ripken obviously had a, a great streak of his own. So that... <laughs> well, he did. Yeah. So the I won't Ca- make that number. <laughs> That's right. Hey, the Cal Ripken of broadcasting, though. And since you've since you've seen those 386 games, you've obviously seen a lot of news in college football and heard a lot of things. And today, Will Greer suspended for performance-enhancing drug use. How many times in your career have you heard of a player or are you familiar with a player being sort of suspended for performance-enhancing drugs? To the best of my knowledge, uh, that's the first time that I've ever heard of a college athlete uh, being suspended for that. that may, it certainly may have happened, but but I'm not aware of it. I don't don't remember ever hearing of it. And how do you feel? You know, professionally, yes, but not 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 in the college. Yeah, professionally, that's what we talked about too. It's something that that happens quite frequently. Um, obviously, it changes the game a little bit for the weekend. And interestingly enough, it'll be the fourth time in a row. Uh, that LSU will have faced a backup quarterback, which is a bit of an interesting tidbit. Well, it is, and and first of all, you know, I, I really I hate that uh, for for Florida, and uh, certainly hate it for the young man. And th- this has been a really strange football season. It's the la- it's my last one, and it's it's really been str- the first you know first game of the year gets gets put, washed out, not washed out, but lightninged out. It didn't happen. Uh, the game was canceled and never rescheduled, so it was never played. And so then we have a game where we're supposed to play on the road, come to Tiger Stadium. Uh, and we played that against Carolina last weekend. Now, because of that, it means that for the first time in over 100 years, LSU will play every game in the month of October at home. Those well, are some. We're off to a strange start here. Yeah, those are some really unique circumstances. So LSU's won a bunch of games this year so far. How do you feel like the program is feeling coming into this game? Well, I like this team. I I, I really do. And and had you know the the um, indications were uh, coming into the season that this could be this could be a special year because the Tigers do have a lot of talent. Uh, including a real special talent that you only see once in a lifetime, perhaps. And uh, that's Leonard Fournette. And uh, after watching him play last year, uh, there, you know, and there was some indication that he really was something and, and has come to fruition uh, early in this season. And uh, he is truly an amazing athlete uh, and, and really one of the nicest guys in the world. He has all of this talent and all of these um, you know, positives being hurled at him, and and he just doesn't take himself seriously. He uh, uh, he makes it very, very quickly known that this is LSU's team and not Leonard's team, and uh, he doesn't take credit for anything. He gives all the credit to, you know, his teammates. So he's a he's a real special person, and and he makes people around him special. So um, this team has the possibilities of being exceptional. Still got some work to do though. And speaking of Leonard Fournette, 
is he as good or better than Herschel Walker, Bo Jackson, some of the giants of SEC football? You know, it's interesting that you asked, mentioned those two names because back when they were playing the way the league scheduled, we never played them. We never played Auburn and saw Bo Jackson. We never played Georgia and saw Herschel Walker. So I never got to see them play in person. So, so, so take I, it. I can't answer the question about those two guys, but I will tell you that I have seen some very, very good running backs. Uh, some of them here at LSU. This guy is as good or better than anybody I have ever seen. He certainly looks that way to us. I mean, he he looks like the complete package. He has the speed. He has obviously the moves inside the tackles. He can run outside the tackles. Is there anything that Fournette can't do right now? Does he have a weakness? <laughs> well, uh, I, you know, I don't know if there is. Uh, and uh, he's he's a, he's the fastest in the history of the SEC to get to a thousand. Uh, he's the first player to have three two hundred plus yards games in a row uh you know he, he continues to do amazing things he got a hundred forgive me if i don't have it exactly right but 150 something uh this last week and he didn't play a quarter and a half but we had a young freshman come in named darius geis who got 161 and was the actual sec offensive player of the week this week running in the place of fournette and uh, Leonard, you know, he was just as happy as a lark sitting on the sidelines uh, watching this young man uh, actually be the leading rusher this week instead of him. So um, he caught some passes, Fournette did this week, and uh, he, he's just the real deal. But but LSU has – part of that is because LSU has a very good, very big, strong, and a very talented offensive line. And Leonard will be the first one to tell you that, in, including – uh, Ethan Posick, who for the second time already this year uh, was named the um, SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week. He's the uh, LSU starting center, and he is a huge person. Uh, he's a six-seven-three-thirty, and uh, so he's part of the reason that uh, that Leonard gets those holes that he runs through. So we know the offensive line is talented. We know that Leonard is yep. very talented. What is on, on the LSU team, if you had to pick one weakness on the entire team, what's the most glaring one? Right now, it's special teams. Uh, <clears throat> LSU's had, for all of a sudden, um, is having a very difficult time with kickoff, kickoff period. Uh, they don't seem to be able to kick the ball in, you know, into the end zone, uh, and they don't seem to be able to stop them very well when they – the opposing team runs the ball back, and that was very evident this, this last this last game. We've had two kickoffs out of bounds already this year. Um, we had the kickoff run back for a for a, for a touchdown last week, uh, and in I think the last three or four times LSU kicked off, they squib kicked it, which I've never seen before. So uh, that's that's the problem. The big problem right now is, is LSU special teams. Jamie Keene, who was all SEC punter last uh, last year, is is only averaging 39 yards a punt this year. So those are the those are a couple of things that uh, LSU is working hard on right now. Well, let me ask you about LSU's quarterback situation. Do you think that they'll be mm-hmm. able to throw the ball effectively against this Florida defense? 
Well, Florida's got a great defense, uh, but I will say that um, I think Tiger fans are breathing a little easier now after last week because uh, Brandon Harris had a pretty good week, you know, and uh, that's his, that was his uh, best uh, best uh, game as the LSU quarterback. He he threw a couple of touchdown passes. He threw some great passes. He missed a couple, of course, uh, but uh, but the passing game uh, really showed up for the first time um, in in that game. So I think it leads the Tiger fans to believe that if there is a way to stop Fournette, um, the, the Tiger passing game can keep the ball moving. And uh, but but it remains to be seen. I'm not sure anybody has. Um, I'm not sure LSU's played anybody as good as Florida yet uh, this year. So it's going to be a heck of a test. And you know what? It always is when LSU and Florida play. I mean, some of the some of the bigger games that I can remember uh, were between these two teams. So this is a night game, and there's obviously something unique Just barely. about it. It's at, it's at six, but it's it's almost at night. <laughs> <laughs> night for us, I guess. Here on the East Coast, yeah. but uh, so there's something unique about Death Valley at night. What makes it so special, in your opinion? Well, in my opinion, what makes it special is that it gives the uh, Tiger fans a little bit longer to get ready, and um, that's the only reason. Uh, because LSU, you know, there, there are there are some for for whatever reason think that LSU has a very poor record in day games, and that's simply not true. LSU's record. In, in games played during the day is really pretty good. And maybe one of the reasons it's not quite as good um, as people think it should be is because back years ago when a game was moved to the afternoon, it was because it was the hardest game of the year for LSU and it was done for television. You know, LSU always in the afternoons was playing Notre Dame and Southern Cal and Ohio State and Oklahoma. I'm just using that. To make a point, those type of teams were who LSU play and play any of the in-state schools or any of the, you know, mid-major non-conference schools. So that that's part of why, in folklore, uh, LSU plays better at night. I don't think it has anything to do with how well LSU plays. I just think that the fans enjoy the game at night because they enjoy having all day long <laughs> to get ready for it. And one other thing that figures into it, in September and much of October, it is unbearably hot in the afternoon here. So I think those are the two real reasons. So you've been around this LSU program for a long time. Can you give me maybe your favorite moment calling a game for LSU? Uh, as far as one play, no. I really couldn't because there's been just – just so many, and already this year there's been some watching Fournette. I mean, it's unbelievable. He, he ran a, a punt back 100 yards for a touchdown last year. But the, the, the most, you know, I think pretty obviously the, the most exciting things were the two national championship victories. Uh, LSU's win over Oklahoma uh, and over Ohio State to, to win the national championships and the fact that both of those took place in New Orleans, you know, just down the just down the street um, in, in the Superdome. That's uh, that was thrilling. It doesn't get any any more more exciting or more monumental than a national championship. So that that that's that's the big that that's the big stage. 
And Jim, speaking of this weekend stage, can you give us your prediction, a score? What do you think is going to happen this weekend? No, I don't do that. Um, <laughs> I, I don't. There's no way to pick a pick a score. I mean, I like LSU's chances to win uh, certainly because number one, we're playing at home. Number two, I think LSU is a very good team. But but I'm also very aware of you know just a couple of. Uh, the ball bouncing sideways a couple of times is all it takes for Florida to come in here and, and spring, which I guess would be considered an upset. Even though Florida is in the top 10 and undefeated, LSU is a favorite. And now without the, your starting quarterback, I think, uh, you know, that's going to make LSU a little bit more of a favorite. But, but uh, you know, so I, I like LSU's chances of winning the game. But I do know that they're going to have to play their best game of the year uh, to have a chance to win it. And for those Gator fans, or LSU fans for that matter, that are in the area, can you give me your favorite restaurant, maybe one in Baton Rouge and one in New Orleans for those Ooh. that are visiting? You know what? I, I would, no, I, I would love to do that. I'd get shot if I did that. If I, if I, if I gave you the name of a, of a restaurant or two, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't walk in my door in the morning. <laughs> Because some of the some of our good friends that own the other one I didn't mention would be there to ask me why. You know, all I can tell you is that, uh, that Baton Rouge is loaded with great places to eat. But 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 let me say this, and I think the South Carolina uh, fans found this out last week. And by the way, let me let me take this opportunity to to tip my cap to the LSU athletic department for pulling off what they did last week to be able to schedule a game uh, with two and a half days notice and, and sell 45,000 tickets um, and then do the things that they did to try to help South Carolina feel at home. That, that was truly amazing what they did. But what I was, what I was about to say before I got off on that is you don't really have to go to a restaurant. That's the, that's one of the beautiful things about what we were talking about, about a night game Come out to, to Tiger Stadium about noon, and you can have anything you want to eat or drink, and it's great, absolutely free, because the Tiger tailgaters love uh, to share, uh, you know, their 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 tailgating expertise, and they're the best in the world. Uh, so, go to a restaurant on Friday night, with the, come out early to Tiger Stadium, just walk around, and and <laughs> you will. Uh, you you will be fed very well, Jim. Thanks so much for the uh, the advice on on what to do when we're up there in Baton Rouge this weekend. I know all the Gators that are going up there are looking forward to it. Thanks for the time. Thanks for the info. We appreciate it. It's Jim Hawthorne, the legendary voice of the Tigers. This is his last football season after an illustrious career. So thanks again for joining us, Jim. We enjoyed it. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. So let's turn now and talk about this week's game at LSU, James. How is this team going to look with Treon at quarterback? I imagine it's going to be more conservative with regards to the formations that we run. Um, but I do think that McElwain does what he does. So he wants to run multiple formations. He wants to run vertical passing routes. He wants to have three to four guys running routes. From what we've seen this year with Treon, most of that stuff has been one or two receivers at most running routes with the occasional uh, fake pitch bootleg where there's three guys, but it's sort of three basic levels. So we haven't really seen Treon have to do the things we saw Will do. Um, 
However, I also think that McIlwain was kind of putting in his offense week by week, and, and we've seen Will more or less run a lot of different sets now. I heard McIlwain say today the offense is not changing at all. Um, and we, we touched on that earlier, but I have to think that it becomes simpler. I have to imagine that the game plan is still to score points. That's who McIlwain is. But he's going to tweak it. And I think that in general, like we said, if he believes what we believe, which is that Treon throws late, throws slow, footwork's not quite there. You've got to make the throws more obvious so that he doesn't get hung up and then lob one right to their team. So that's what I think will happen uh, on offense. I, 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 I'm I not going to say they're going to handle the ball and say, don't turn it over. I don't think McElwain's that way. But I think they're going to try to make the decision-making process as simple as possible. Agreed. The The real trouble here is when what we've seen from Treon in these early games, when he did get a chance to throw, like you said, the big thing for me was his decisiveness, like you said, throwing late. So on some of these rollouts, you know, which is a big part of this offense, misdirection, we almost never saw Will throw to the first guy if the second guy was open. And I think the reverse was true with Treon. He rarely threw to the deeper guy. He almost always took the easier throw, which is not the worst thing, but that's not how you're going to be able to move the ball against a good defense. You've got to pick up yards where you can, and when it's schemed in that way, you've got to take advantage. Uh, I'm really concerned that we're not going to be able to move the ball much at all because the offensive line, while they've done fairly well in pass protection on like kind of straight-up situations, they've not gotten a ton of push running the ball. Um, some Some decent, like... But not blasting open holes, not like we're just going to grind you into the ground running the ball. So I think we're going to have to be a little unpredictable. And I think we can do it. I think we could be successful. But my worry is that if they're getting pressure, that we're going to kind of have to go even more conservative in terms of our protections and our uh, personnel. Luckily, we have some great tight ends. And that could be a relief valve for them. But I'm worried, personally, that they're going to be able to kind of move the ball well enough to be successful. And the thing we can rest on is that McIlwain has had success everywhere he's been with a variety of quarterbacks and a variety of schemes. He's obviously a very good teacher. So this will be a very interesting test of his skill set. And there's hope that Treon's been in this offense, even though he hasn't been on the field throwing the ball, but he's had a chance to hopefully grow in it some since the last time we saw him really making throws. So there's at least a possibility that he's improved in the last few weeks. Yeah, and I feel like I wouldn't want our listeners to think that we're just dogging Treon, but I think like we said in the beginning of the year, you can't just in in five weeks do the things Will Greer was able to do. The footwork, the timing, the velocity on the ball, throwing when your back foot hits the ground. Those things don't just happen. Most quarterbacks in college never reach a level of doing that. There's no reason to think that Treon has reinvented himself in five weeks. But like we said, Matt can coach within those those restraints. And, and for me, I think what it really does is, can we still win? Yes. My excitement level has gone down so much because I was really enjoying watching a guy who could do things with the football that a prototypical quarterback can do. And with Treon, whether I like it or not, it's it's a modified version of Jeff Driscoll. I don't think Treon will turn the ball over like Jeff will, but it's a guy that throws to open guys. And, and, and that kills me when I watch quarterbacks and unless Treon has like we said reinvented himself he doesn't want to throw it to a window he doesn't want to throw it on time he's not a true pocket quarterback and it hurts me to have to kind of maybe watch us regress into this mode of offense that is very collegey 
Um, so as a fan, it, it, it makes me, you know, just step down a lot in my excitement yeah. notch for the team. And when you say open guys, you mean guys who are just standing there open, not guy, not throwing them open like Will was able to do. Not in the windows. Yeah. I think Treon's proven he can throw guys open if it's a corner route or if it's a post route and there's not a window. But he's not going to be hitting windows where, you know, you see Jake McGee run five yards and, and running in and the ball's out right away. I mean, he threw a, an incredible ball in the Missouri game where he threw it before, and I forget Powell. who it was, Powell had even turned around. That's an NFL throw. Guys don't want to make that throw. It's because Greer trusts that he's taking his drop, his back foot hits the ground, the ball's coming out. Trion has never made that throw. Trion's going to wait until he turns around, at which point time against a team like LSU and others, it's too late. And those passes that are completions become incompletions or picks. And that's what's going to be really interesting to watch. I will clearly be watching a lot of Trion. I'll be at the game in person this Saturday. I know I will be watching what kind of routes we're running and obviously how he's responding to it. It will be interesting from a fan's point of view, but I am absolutely, as you can probably tell, fearful about what's going on. Another thing that keeps me awake at night is Leonard Fournette. How how are we going to stop him, but can we stop him? This is the big question mark for this defense. We talked about how Ole Miss, their style of play, you know, was great for how we want to play defense. Uh, we haven't played a team that just wants to line it up and run it down your throat yet. And this is obviously what this LSU team wants to do. I think a ton of depth on the defensive line, keeping those guys fresh, is big for us. The fact that we could play pretty much man on the outside, on the corners. The real scary thing for me is our linebacker depth. Basically, we're down to two linebackers at this point. With, and I haven't heard any word that Anzalone is going to be healthy Jeremy Powell still banged up. Daniel McMillan plays, but very sparingly. Roland, who knows what his deal is. So those guys, gosh, they have to have an awesome game. But the thing that also is hopeful for me is that, you know, May and Neil are guys who will come up and deliver a hit from the safety position. So I think we have a shot at stopping him. Uh, I don't know if you ever really shut him down, but if our linebackers can play well and tackle well, because it's going to be on them. Um, we'll see. What would be success, yardage-wise? You say Fournette gets X amount of yards, and that's success for the Gators. How many yards is that? I would say uh, anything under 150 is successful. Because they're going to feed him the ball. Like, and he's going to break at least one of them. What about you? Yeah, 150 seems right to me. I mean, this is a team that's averaging on the ground you know, 300 yards a game. And they've done it against weak defenses, for sure. I mean, they haven't exactly lit it up against what we would consider to be a defense like ours. Then again, we struggled with the really big running back we faced and heard of Tennessee. The guy was running us over, aside from Marcus May. and Which brings me full circle back to, to Marcus May being a guy that is great. I mean, we've been using him right at the line of scrimmage now. And, and that's immensely helpful. I expect to see a ton of that this weekend with him kind of being that strong safety that comes in the box and makes big tackles and gets a body on him. So we're far more prepared to stop them now. Uh, we Our gap discipline is way better. I think our guys understand that than we were when we played Tennessee. But certainly that's the key to the game um, for me, in my opinion. And, and an interesting note, and this is what Max said today, and we'll echo this. It's the first power team we've played. Of course, the next power team we'll play will be Georgia. And, and if we win against LSU, we've played every style of the football team. We've played spread teams. We've played spread option teams. We've played hurry-up tempo teams. We've played power teams. If we win this game on Saturday, especially if we had Will, I, I was going to say on the cast, there's not a team out there we haven't seen and can't beat because we've proven it. 
Now it's more like if we win this Saturday, we know we can beat any type of team. I think our margin for error is smaller, but this is a very interesting test uh, because of that fact. You know, this is this this would show success against everyone. Incredible improvement from last year to this year, and and a really huge metamorphosis of what this team is capable of. So I'm very interested to see how their power matches up with us, and we've shown flashes of struggling against that um, this year. This year, we've shown struggles of, of going against that, and mainly you said like the linebackers. So, give me give me a few broad thoughts on what has to go right for us to win. What are the keys to the game? You know, what are you thinking about coming into this weekend? I've got to start with offense because that's the thing that's most up in the air. But can Treon move us well enough? Can we get to I think twenty one points, uh, maybe twenty four? I don't know that we can. I, we said at the beginning of the year this offense could be effective with Treon. It's not like he was totally garbage. We were moving the ball with him, but we just didn't see the same kind of ceiling. And so I still think we can win the game, but this is a tough LSU team. It's a tough place to play. Um, so I want to see him. Can Is he willing to throw the ball over the middle in some of these seam routes? Because I think we'll have tight ends open. We have excellent tight ends. And can he you know, get us into positions where we're not in like bad down and distance because he has to drop back on third down that third and long it's going to be trouble so can we effectively run the ball can we move the ball early on early downs uh and then on defense i mean we can't i can't imagine we're gonna play nickel maybe we'll maybe we'll be so stubborn and play nickel this is a game for four linebackers not two so can we get enough personnel on the field at linebacker to actually make a stop and can we hold them make them one-dimensional which they already are even more so. What about you? I definitely think that you're right on there with the looking at the defensive line versus their offensive line, but then really looking at the linebackers versus everyone else on their team. Because can they get pressure? Can they hold? Can they prevent Fournette from getting to the safeties? You know, Marcus May's a great tackle. The rest of our safeties, I don't know where they're going to be in any given play. You can't count on them to bring Fournette down. No one's been able to. For me, the, the keys are, are twofold. One is obviously stopping their running game. I think Fournette has to have the the rushing attack in general um, has to have less than 200 yards. And we heard Jim Mary, you know, mention Darius, who actually currently has a higher uh, yards per carry average than Fournette. Fournette's at 8.6. Darius is at 8.7. They can run the ball for 200 yards as a team, and we can probably still win the game. 150, and I'm starting to feel really good about it. And the other thing we have to do is we have to win the turnover battle, which we've been doing consistently. LSU has one turnover the entire year, one, and they're not going to give it to you. Um, we're not going to give it to you. So this is interesting. Now we have a question mark in a new quarterback that they don't have, which, which unfortunately I think, you know, brings us down some and looking at the stats, it's, it's interesting. They can't pass the football. I have no faith in Brandon Harris as a passer. He's extremely limited. I have to imagine that we're going to be able to stop their passing game almost entirely to make them one-dimensional. And if you go back and look at who they've played, they've played a bunch of relatively weak opponents. They played Mississippi State, Auburn, Syracuse, Eastern Michigan, and South Carolina. All of those opponents scored in the 20s, with the exception of the Mississippi State game, where Mississippi State had a field goal with a chance to win. Um, all of those opponents did pretty well against the pass with the exception of South Carolina. And even then you heard Jim mention it. He was 18 of 29 for 228 yards was Brandon Harris. That was his big, that was his big breakout game that everyone feels confident in. Before that, he threw for 80 yards, 157 yards against Syracuse, 74 yards against the vaunted Auburn defense, which is just terrible this year. 71 against Mississippi state. The guy's got a 56% completion rate. I mean, he's just not a good quarterback. 
And we have to take advantage of that. We have to be able to tackle Fournette, make this guy pass the ball in third down situations. He cannot do it. And I think the defense has to come into this game thinking, we have to win this game. We have to help Trion get adjusted. It's a road game. We have got to win this thing if we want our season to be special. So those are the two things I'll really be looking at is how can we get turnovers, which I, I'm thinking through their pass game, and then what can we do to limit their running game? So with that, let's launch right into some predictions. Let's do it. Give me a score for this game, James. What do you think? Well, if we had Will Greer, I was actually going to think that we were going to win this game almost handily. Um, I, I was thinking we probably win by 7 to 10 points, maybe mid-20s to teens is what I was thinking. I think that's all changed now. I think that we're more one-dimensional. Uh, I still actually think we win this game. I, I still do. I just do not believe in LSU. I don't believe in them. I don't believe in the schedule they've played. I'm, I'm going to say uh, it'll be a lot closer, though. I think we need to get to 20 to 23, so I'm going to say that we hit 23 and that they're at uh, 17. Um, I'm going to go 20-17. What do you got? Man, I, I'm with you. I was ready to switch this and pick a Gator victory you know, because I picked LSU to win early in the season. But I feel like there's a big potential for this team to be in disarray, and there's lots of potential for mistakes. Um and so maybe LSU gets a some kind of defensive touchdown or something. Uh, I think I have to pick LSU 20, Gator 17. So close to what you're saying. So it's going to be a close game, relatively low scoring. But I think I'd have to give LSU the nod here. Do you see any scenario where LSU just sort of blows us out? I think so. I mean, there's a, there's a chance that these guys just come in super bummed about the whole Greer thing. I think... I don't think that's a big chance. I think they like Treon, but that they're, you know, maybe some bad things happen. Fournette starts going, getting downhill on them, and it just becomes like a bloodbath. I think that's possible. What yeah. about you? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll go on the record saying I can't see a scenario where LSU blows us out, and that that could be monumentally stupid, and I could regret that next week, and we'll make fun of that. But I I don't see it. I think that McElwain is a true strategist. I think that he understands how to deploy his assets and his resources. And as a guy who can do that, I don't see very many scenarios where our, you know, our downside (laughs) variance is so low that we get waxed. But anything's possible in college football. Right now where I sit, I do feel like this will be a close game. If anything, I actually feel like there are scenarios where we win handily because they're just so limited in the passing game. If we can consistently stop their run, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, and they haven't really proven themselves yet. So that's that's what I'm hoping for. Uh, let's let's expand the scope now before we end the show and talk about a few other marquee matchups as our sort of let's do it. games of the week here. We'll do two games. The first will be predicting these matchups. The second will be predicting Leonard Fournette's individual yardage. And let's start with these two. So we have two huge games this week. We have Alabama traveling to Texas A&M. Yeah, I'm going to have to pick A&M here. I think Bama's had trouble with them over the years, and I think defensively they could give Alabama trouble with those monster defensive ends. What about you? I'm going to take Bama. I think I think A&M won a lot of games with Johnny Menzel throwing up jump balls. I don't know how, how much that's that's real or how much that's going to happen again. I'm going to go Bama. I think I think they're back. I think the old Miss loss was sort of an aberration. I'm going to take Bama. Okay, why don't you go ahead and pick uh, Michigan State at Michigan. What do you think? You know, Jim Harbaugh is my guy, he as is. we know. And, and we talked about who would I rather have earlier on in the season. And, and obviously I was saying, look, Jim's, Jim's still the guy. He's a great guy. And they're obviously on a roll. DJ Durkin, former Florida coordinator there, 
on a historic roll of shutouts. Yeah. I think Michigan State's soft. They've played a bunch of close games. I've watched them play. I don't think they're that good. I think this is a game Michigan wins. The momentum rolls. I take Michigan. I'm going to take Michigan, too. All the things you just said. All right, well, give me your prediction. Give me as close to the yard as possible for Fournette this weekend. I think South Carolina did a nice job on Fournette for a long time, and I think South Carolina's defense is, is awful. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm a believer here. I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I think we're gonna hold him to 125 yards, uh, which is a great day for any running back in the SEC. But Fournette, it's merely human. I'm gonna say mm-hmm. 125. I'm gonna go a little higher. I'm gonna go 157 yards for Leonard. Okay, both both of those we can we can deal with and we can win. So let's let's end the show here, circling to some news we picked up during the show, which is really. Tragic. We Things are changing all the yeah, time. Yeah, we had mentioned at the top of the show that well, how does the Greer situation impact this year and next year? And we both alluded to the fact that next year it could be worse. Well, it actually got even worse. Uh, there's an article out there now um, that's talking about what exactly happens with Greer's eligibility. And essentially, he automatically loses his redshirt year. So as of right now, he's a sophomore, which means next year he would be a junior. So if he came back, he could play half a year and then he would be a senior. Now, what this means games-wise is had he played this year, next year, and all the other years with his redshirt year, he would have played 48 or so collegiate games. And now that number is cut down to 24. So assuming there's not an overturn in the appeal, you've essentially lost Greer for two full seasons of college football if this ban holds up, which is a monumental loss. It's incredible. No matter how you shake it. And today has obviously been a, a head spin day. You know, we, you might have noticed we didn't have a Gator Nation guest today because we, we had a segment ready to roll. We scratched that. We had a different segment ready to roll once we had thought we knew what the substance was. We scratched that. And um, I think for all Gator fans today, you know, our, our heads are obviously still spinning. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to keep moving forward. We'll still be podcasting every week, whether or not we have our boy Will Greer uh, or not. Um, so I just want to say thanks to everyone that's been listening, that's been sharing it, that's been telling their friends about it. Uh we jumped up in Twitter followers a little bit. James, I know you want to implore them to keep following us on Twitter. Yeah, so so we added to about 100, which means there's still about 8,000 or 8,100 of you that listen to this show that have not jumped on Twitter to give us <laughs> give us the, the follow so that we can continue to get bigger guests. Um, we seriously would appreciate, like we said, the follow. It helps us in order to get guests that you guys like for the show. If you have a moment, follow us. We're not going to use this to put incredible content out or do anything like that or harass your feed or take over your feed. It's merely going to be a tool to continue to get guests, which helps save us time to allow us to produce more and more content. Well, thanks to Jim Hawthorne, the LSU play-by-play guy, for being on this week. And also thanks to our friend Josh Judy, who's been our little research assistant while we've been recording this thing. Uh, Shout out to him. And, again, thanks for listening. We love doing it. Uh, Keep listening. And we'll see you guys next week. See you next week. When you're well-dressed, people say, Nice suit. When you're best-dressed, they say, Nice suit. The JCPenney Men's Best Dressed event is happening now. Score 50% off men's select suit separate, sport coats, and dress pants from Collection by Michael Strahan, Stafford, and JFJ Farrar. And for big and tall guys, shop Shaquille O'Neal, XLG, and more. Plus, get an extra 25% off with your JCPenney credit card and coupon. JCPenney. Offers valid 912 to 918. Credit offer subject to credit approval. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details.
Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.